I'm Pete McCall. Welcome to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. I'm going to start this episode with a little story about a client I had when I was personal training full-time in Washington, D.C. I'm going to call my client Mike, you know, changing the name to Save the Innocent and all that stuff. Mike, one of the fun things about Mike, Mike was a business executive. He was very hard-charging, and in fact, he split his time between Washington, D.C., where I was, and New York City, and I was his Washington, D.C.-based trainer. He also had a trainer that he worked with in New York City. Our job was to not only keep Mike fit, but to help Mike stay injury-free. Because here's, here's the challenge. A lot of clients like Mike, a lot, of, a lot of individuals are type A personalities. They want to do things at 100% effort. For them, easy, easy is a four-letter word. They, just, they, they like doing things hard. They like making a challenge. They want to take the challenge head on. And Mike was totally typical of that type of individual. Here's the other challenge we had with Mike. Mike had two adult sons who were very, very high-level athletes. One adult son had wrestled in the Olympics. <laughs> that that's kind of qualifies you as a pretty good athlete there. The other adult son was a, was a military special operator, was in the special operations unit of one of the branches of the United States Armed Forces. That means both of his sons were very active individuals themselves. So you can imagine the challenge that we had with Mike. Mike would go out on vacation. As somebody who was a business executive, Mike had the luxury of being able to do fun things and, and having making time for vacations that were important to him and his family. And anytime Mike would get together with his sons or go somewhere with his sons, I would kind of cringe. Because if you're somebody in your 50s and you're trying to keep up with your adult sons who are extremely high-level athletes, the chances are you're not going to be able to do the exact same things as they're able to do at the exact same level of intensity. And sure enough, Mike would go skiing with one of his kids and come back a little banged up. Mike would play tennis with one of his kids get a little banged up. Mike would go out running or go out for a hike with one of his, you get the idea. Our job, my job with Mike as one of his personal trainers was to keep Mike injury free. And the way I did that was through strength training, through mobility training, do power training. A lot of times people go to the gym and that's the benefit of hiring a personal trainer is personal trainers try to understand their job or they should, and I say try, they should understand exercise program design to help you remain injury-free. Because the gym, you know, we, we don't really think about it. Exercise, we think of, okay, we sweat, we move a little. But exercise could cause injury in of itself if you don't know what you're doing. However, if you know what you're doing, if you know how to design good programs or if you follow a good exercise program, like the kind I'm going to be selling here on All About Fitness before long, if you follow a good exercise program, a good exercise program should include mobility training, which is full range of motion of the joints. Mobility is a combination of extensibility, lengthening and shortening the tissue and joint range of motion. Strength training. You need to challenge yourself to work hard. That doesn't just mean do two or three sets of 10 repetitions. It means push the body to work harder. And power training. One thing that I don't see enough people that people do enough of in the gym is power training or appropriate power training. That can include plyometric jumps, medicine ball throws, swinging the kettlebells, some of the barbell lifts. All those are technical skills that have to be learned over time. That was my program design for Mike. Somebody in his 50s, it was perfectly appropriate to do that type of work. We did heavy strength training. We did mobility training. We did power training. And the goal was so that he could be active and go out and have fun with his kids. Who doesn't want to do that? And that brings me to today's guest. Today's guest is Dr. John Russin. Dr. Russin is a doctor of physical therapy who's created something called the Pain-Free Performance Specialist Certification. 
What that means is understanding how to design exercise programs that leave you pain-free. And that's something that's missing in our exercise industry. I actually found out about John in kind of a unique way. I found him on Instagram, or I think he found me. John puts up a lot of phenomenal content. Dr. John Russin on Instagram. I'll have the link down below in the show notes. But John puts up a tremendous amount of content, good content, and that's what caught my eye. He was showing a lot of unique weightlifting, alter, not alternatives, but a lot, a very unique approach to weightlifting. John does a lot of unilateral stuff that's lifting weight with one arm, one leg at a time. He does a lot of rotation, anti-rotation work. That's very unique. And, and unlike a lot of people that put content up on Instagram, John has, has a very specific education background that allows him to do that. What's even cooler is John has a very unique athletic background as well. I was blown away by the story they told me about you know, one of the ways that he learned how to enjoy physical fitness. I think you'll get a kick out of that. Before I get into the interview with Dr. John Russin, again, I want to remind you, if you want to support the All About Fitness podcast, I am not going to be taking advertisers. What I'll be doing is I'm promoting exercise programs. You can go to my YouTube channel. There's now an All About Fitness podcast YouTube channel. If you want to see the type of exercise programs that can keep you strong and injury-free, along with what Dr. Russin has to offer, go to the All About Fitness podcast channel on YouTube and see the programs up there. Now, I'm not only putting workout programs up there or exercises up there is if you look down below underneath in YouTube, I'm trying to explain why you should be doing those exercises. Now, let's get back to Dr. John Russin. Dr. Russin is a very high-level personal trainer. He works and consults with a variety of professional athletes. And he really, you know, I was blown away by his content. And what also was very, what meant a lot to me is a few of my colleagues, a few former guests of All About Fitness, Robert Linkle, Clifton Harsky, and Kevin Mullins, are all trainers or master trainers. They're educators for Dr. Russin. So when I see people that I respect working with somebody like that, I knew that Dr. Russell was somebody I wanted to have on the show because there is a lot to learn. Here we are with today's guest, Dr. John Russell, the creator of the Pain-Free Performance Specialist Certification. I'm Pete McCall, the All About Fitness Podcast. I'm speaking today with John Russin, a uh, performance, I guess I'd call you a performance conditioning expert, and we'll get into that a little bit more. How's it going today? It's going good, Pete. Thanks for having me on, brother. Well, thank you. No, I appreciate your time. One thing I always like to to ask guys, you know, kind of because there's a common theme here. One thing I like to ask, um, you know, guys to elevate into the certain level of the fitness industry is what got you interested in the fitness and, and exercise in the first place? Man, I was born into it. Uh, my dad was an athletic director growing up. He was in charge of 27 schools in the greater Western New York area. So he did athletics. He did health curriculum physical education, you know, I can remember taking my first steps in a weight room, taking my first steps on a football field on Friday nights, being in uh, the gymnasium for basketball and literally doing that almost every day through my upbringing. And, uh, you know, my mom was kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, but kind of still into that health and wellness promotion lifestyle. She was a professor, uh, ultimately being my alma mater, where I graduated with a doctorate in physical therapy from Damon College. She was there for 34 years. She was the Dean of Health and Human Services, and she was really in charge of physician assistant, physical therapy, athletic training, nursing, all the way up to a doctoral level. And I kind of look at the way my career went. I kind of blended my mom and my dad's educations and their passions for life together into what I do now, which is you know coaching athletes, coaching clients, and trying to educate 
the general fitness consumer, but also specializing in trying to coach up the coaches. Well, it's kind of interesting to hear that because, and that's not uncommon to, for people to get in from from family influences. But on the other hand, you know, it would not have surprised me if you had you know gone the video game route. You know, was that ever <laughs> was it ever like did it ever seem too much? Was it something like oh god, here we go to the football field again to the basketball court, or was it or were you one of those kids that looked forward to that? Were you running out at halftime to to shoot hoops and and play out on the on the court? I was, I was that kid. You know, at halftime, I was down getting like a couple layups in, a couple free throws. And I, I always loved it. You know, I always loved being physical. I was never that video game kid. Never really spent too much time reading books until I had to or really playing video games when all my other friends were, you know, sitting around playing Halo. I was always out being active. And, you know, one thing my dad always did for me was that he didn't push me to do anything. But as soon as I initiated or had any interest in going out and doing something, you know, he'd be the first one to throw on a glove and go play catch outside or take me to the baseball field, do batting practice, open up a gym on a a snowy Saturday or Sunday afternoon, bring my friends over and be able to play basketball for a couple hours. So he was always the one there that had really cool shit going on because he had access to all these schools. So, you know, in Buffalo, New York, where I grew up, it would snow feet at a time. There's nothing that we could do outside except for ski. So we were going and swimming in the high school pools. We were going and shooting baskets, uh, being on the gymnastics equipment, all that stuff on the weekend. So it was almost like daddy daycare out (laughs) at these schools. And it was something that I just loved to do. But I also had the opportunity to be the kid with the coolest dad, you know, oh yeah, John's dad's opening up Williams East High School. Yeah, let's go. And it's almost like the other parents just dropped their kids off to my dad. And he watched everybody, but he was always the one that was also cultivating the energy, uh, you know, doing some cool stuff with us and always keeping us excited about physicality. And I think that, you know, those influences, you don't forget those things because that's something that I do now with my clients, but I also do with my kids. Well, let me take, cause let me take a step back. Cause so you said anytime you express an interest in something that your father, your parents supported you because I recently interviewed uh, Dr. Kelly McGonigal who wrote a book, the joy of movement. And she's a professor. She does, she's a psychology researcher at a little school called Stanford. And when I, you know, her twin sister is a, is a professor as well, I think at Berkeley. And when I asked her how her parents cultivated two PhD uh, professors in the family, that was exactly her reaction was anytime she and her sister expressed an interest in something that the parents were behind it all the way. So how important was that to you as a kid that you, you know, you said, Hey dad, or, you know, mom, dad, I want to do this. And they're like, yeah, let's go, let's go get that on. It was pretty important because I think that one of our jobs as parents is to put our children into different environments, not only be preaching to them what they should do, but also be listening on what they are interested in. Because, you know, today or when I was growing up, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, there weren't as many options as there are today, but now it's like we have everything at our disposal, but I think we just literally have to be doing it more for the love of being physical, but also for the passion of exploring new environments. Because, you know, so, so early on, I see this many of my, uh, my friends, parents growing up, they wanted their kid to play baseball. So they played baseball and they're burned out by the time they're 13 or the same could be said for football or basketball or any of these other sports. Whereas I spent my first like 13 or 14 years on this planet doing experiential learning and never being the best at 12, 13, 14, but then ultimately being really, really good at a number of sports by the time I was 17 and 18 and then ended up being a division one athlete. So 
um, there's things that you look back on and you're like, wow, that was one of the most powerful things of actually going into different environments early on and actually just playing, you know, the love of physicality. And that's something that's so hard today. You know, it's a lot easier in the 80s, the 90s, into the 2000s. You know, we're sitting here in 2020 right now. You know, I look at my, uh, my kids, I have a 10 year old Maddie and I have a four year old Cameron and their peers, you know, they're already specializing. And I'm like, Whoa, man, this is a different day and age, but you know, I'm, I'm into the science as well. So I kind of know the, the pros and also many of the cons to some of those upbringings physically. So it's, it's a, it's a crazy dynamic. Well, let's stay on this for a moment, John, cause this is really important. And I know a lot of my listeners are in that demographic where they have kids and I, you know, I'm, I'm coaching uh, college, not college, but high school rugby and, and youth rugby. And that's one of the cool things is, you know, parents are sticking their kids in rugby to get their kids um, different skill sets or, you know, kids might not be in another, you know, be interested in another sport, but they're getting interested in rugby. How important is it to allow your kid to play different sports? You know, and at what age would you maybe recommend a, a specialization, if, if any at all? Man, so this is interesting because uh, I don't do a whole lot of youth athletic performance anymore. At one point in time in my career, I did. But being a father, you know, I'm far more interested in this stuff than ever before. So we publish six to eight keynote articles on drjohnresson.com pertaining to this topic. And really, a lot of the research is coming out from my backyard here at the University of Wisconsin, looking at premature injury rates, looking at burnout rates, and more specifically on early sports specialization and its effect short-term and long-term on the health of children and then uh, ultimately being an adult. And some of this stuff is scary. So my general recommendation for people is at 12 or 13 years old, we should be in non-competitive environments all the way up into that age. We should be literally doing it for experiential learning, different environments, being able to acquire different motor skills with variety and also novelty. And then at about 13 or so, we try to actually become more competitive with things. Kids usually get into anywhere from three to four competitive sports. And by the time they get to 16 or 17, they'll most likely figure out the two things that they are the best at. But we tend to get to those two things at seven years old. We get to those two things at nine years old, not at 17. And all of a sudden, we have this fizzle rate on people. And it's not only the physical repercussions of being hurt or being more chronically injured than your counterparts that aren't specializing, but it's also, again, going back for the love of the game. We tend to burn out earlier on the more contact hours we have, especially prepubescent contact hours with these sports. And we never actually reach our full physical potential. But the thing that I focus on here is that we have a dysfunctional relationship with what it means to be physical, what it means to be active, and then into early adulthood, all the way into middle age and then extended life. It changes our perception of what we should be doing. And I think we're starting to see this with some of the increased rates of obesity, of systemic disease, of pain and injuries across the board, you know, the USA leading the way there. And it can stem back. It's obviously a multifactorial problem that we have. But I think a large thing that it stems back to is our 25 or 35-year-olds right now, they went through a different upbringing from a physical environmental standpoint than their parents did. And I think we're obviously seeing some of those numbers rise in the wrong direction because of it. 
Well, and that's, you know, that's, that's tremendous insight. And it's interesting because I kind of was having this conversation with a neighbor a few weeks ago, whose 11 year old is, is uh, already specializing in travel soccer. And I was saying, (laughs) you know, my kids are five and seven and and just, you said it, John, I am not going to have them. They're doing they're doing Y and rec league until they're 12 or 13. I am not going to be spending my weekends driving around a nine-year-old to go to travel games when that's not what they need. That nine-year-old needs to be playing three different sports on the weekend at a rec level, not specializing in one sport. Well, let's hold on for a second. So you take that nine-year-old. It, it tends to be the parents that are the big pushers for this. Exactly. They are trying to keep up with the Joneses, and they are trying to have the best nine-year-old in the soccer league. And in all actuality, there is no data, there's no science, there's no research that will correlate somebody being the best nine-year-old to being the best 23-year-old in professional sports. It's actually directly converse. Yeah, We see that the best ones are the ones that don't have a specialization background. 95% of Olympians and professional athletes played multiple sports up until 17 years old. Like, let that sink in for a second. Like literally 95 out of 100 of the top athletes in the world today over the last 10 years played multiple sports, a.k.a. they did not fully specialize. Maybe they stayed healthier. Maybe their internal fire for physicality and for competition stayed brighter. You know, there's many different factors to look at here, but I think sometimes we think, oh, I need to get a step up. I need to get above and beyond where my kid should be at 9, at 10, at 11. But in all actuality, it doesn't matter. It's not where you are then. It's where you end up if you have a competitive um, goal set. But even so, you know, it's also how healthy and how motivated can you stay throughout your development. And that is going to be the largest predictor of long-term success in competition at the highest of levels, but also for long-term resiliency and people actually maintaining their physical, physical nature for life. Well, and, and I appreciate that insight, and that's so important to hear. Again, because I think a lot of my listeners are parents with kids, and I want them to understand that it's better to have your kids doing multiple things. And, and to switch gears for a moment, you know, what you said you play D one sports. You know, what 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 sports you play, and, and you know, and kind of how did you get into get into that level? I mean, it, it doesn't sound like you specialize at age six on <laughs> in order to get that scholarship. <laughs> and, you know, especially no. if your dad could get you in any any uh, any workout area in the in the Western uh, New York area. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I ended up playing uh, baseball at Division One level. I was actually a high school uh, second team All-American my senior year in high school. And that's like unheard of for being from Buffalo, New York with California, Florida, and Texas really leading the way in baseball yeah, specifically. Yeah, absolutely. And I also had offers in two other sports. So I was able to make a decision on what I wanted to play. But I didn't start hitting baseballs competitively when I was two years old. It started at seven and a half years old for me. And I remember the first time that we were on quote unquote travel teams, or actually we went about an hour away to play other towns, was when I was 13 years old. All the way to the point where by 15, I was a varsity starter and an all league player. By the time I was 18, I was one of the best players that has ever gone through my high school. So I think that um, early on, it was about the skills, it was about having fun. It wasn't necessarily about like, oh man, you only batted 500, you should have batted 550 this year. It wasn't about the stats, it was about development. And going back to like my specialization, I remember being 15 and a half years old, so I just got done with like my freshman year of high school, and that was the first time I actually took like a hitting lesson. 
<laughs> you know, people are in hitting lessons now at age four, five, six years old. Oh, Literally a, a coach specializing hitting for an hour or so. First time I ever did that was at 15 and a half. So, you know, almost having a driver's license to the point where I really went in and specialized. But at that time, I was playing basketball. I was waiting, uh, strength and conditioning uh, in off seasons. And I was also playing football and then ultimately track and field. So I was doing all these different things. But I think that one thing that became a little bit easier for me to stick with all this stuff was I was actually pretty good at it because I was a good mover. I was an explosive athlete because I think somewhat of genetics, but also development. But it was something that when you're good at something, when you move well, when you're explosive, you can take these skill sets that you acquire into many different sporting disciplines. You know, so sprinting on the football field is very similar to the acceleration mechanics on the basketball court. Or, you know, in the outfield, I was a center fielder. Or, you know what, a 55-yard indoor track dash, you know, very, very similar. So physical traits that kids tend to develop uh, at a very foundational level and then are able to actually build back up that pyramid, they transcend the sport. And those are the best athletes that I tend to see. They're also the healthiest athletes that I tend to see that have that wide array of experiences going in and having that fire to be better and not being burned out mentally, physically, emotionally to the point where they do want to actually put their all eggs in one basket when they know that it needs to be a competition-based scenario as opposed to a developmental-based scenario. And see that, yeah, we could spend hours on this topic. And, and you know, I kind of want to get back to, you know, talking a little bit about, you know, adult conditioning. And I have to say, John, when I asked you the question about kind of what you got into fitness, I know we're about, you know, sort of the same age range. I honestly was expecting you to say, you know, I didn't know that your dad had the key to every gymnasium <laughs> in your area. I was kind of expecting to hear, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, the, you know, the Sylvester Stallone, the, you know, we were those movies at all influential in terms of like getting you in the weight room? I mean, is that kind of what, what got you started in working weight? Not at all. Not at all. It was a purely performance. I'll I'll give you a story. So my first day stepping into the weight room as an athlete and not just an observer. Uh, I graduated the eighth grade and I was about to go from modified football into junior varsity football. And at that point, it was the summer between middle school and high school. And my dad introduced me to the new high school strength and conditioning coach. We walked into my high school and he put me through my first workout. I did bench press, I did squat, and I did leg press. And five sets of bench press of 10 repetitions, I could not feel my arms for about 10 days after that. And that was my first experience getting under any sort of load. So it was with a barbell, it was with another barbell, and then it was the ultimate leg press machine. And I remember being like, man, this kind of sucks. I was like shooting baskets the next day. I couldn't even bring my arms up over my head. But then things got progressively better because it was uh, it was a different scenario. The, uh, the evolution of the way that we got coached was better. We also were very lucky to have uh, a huge influence from the university, the University of Buffalo, and their strength and conditioning staff doing a lot with our high schools, uh, mainly because my dad brought them in, and really having highly intelligent programming at an early age. So, you know, at 14 years old, being crushed by the barbell bench press in my first session, going into two years later, being able to have a progressive multimodalic based approach to a movement centric strength and conditioning program. That was something that I had throughout high school that I think really set me apart in terms of not having to ever unlearn something as a coach 
ultimately a coach that you knew it or did in the past. So we had very, very good coaching, good programming, good technique work, but a very movement-centric approach and a well-rounded approach to training that ultimately I do today with my clients, no matter if they're athletes or general fitness population. Well, and that takes me to to my next question in you know, how easy is it to get injured from exercise? And, and the reason why I ask this, John, is because I think a lot of people think that's like, well, it's only exercise, right? I'm only, you know, I'm going to join a gym. It's only exercise. I don't really need to, I don't need to put much thought into it. I don't really need to warm up. I don't really need to understand what I'm doing. I'm just exercising. But how easy can somebody, especially if they're in their thirties or forties, how easy is it to, to do the wrong thing and get banged up, you know, by just working out? Pete, these statistics, they break my heart as a fitness professional because we're seeing emerging data showing that people that do have a physical practice, aka they're training, they're being physically active, they're actually more likely to be hurt, especially at the lower back and the shoulder, than people that sit on the fucking couch instead. And that breaks my heart because we have more fitness professionals than ever before. We have more people in need than ever before, but we also have people getting hurt and burning out at record rates, epidemiological level rates right now. And it's something that, you know, something has to give, you know, obesity rates skyrocketing, disease rates skyrocketing, pain and injuries skyrocketing, but we've never been smarter or more capable to handle these people theoretically than ever before. So yeah, people do get hurt by training. This isn't like this mythical beast out there that, oh, oh, you won't be hurt. If you don't move well, or more so, if you've had a learned disuse of your human movement system, aka you don't move like you used to, you don't move like a human being should be able to move, yeah, you might be really one of those statistics that say 50% of people restarting a fitness program will burn out or break down within six weeks. That's the harsh reality. And that's why I do what I do today to try to combat those statistics. Well, and that's why I wanted to speak with you, man, because, you know, you know, following you on Instagram and seeing the work you're putting out, <clears throat> we're, we're writing along parallel lines. I mean, that's why, why I wrote my book is to try to get people thinking about how to work out the right way. And it's interesting because I have a couple gym memberships to big box gyms. I'm not going to say the name, but I have a couple of memberships at Big Box Gyms. And John, those are my research. I go in there to see what consumers are doing and to kind of have an understanding. I, I go to different gyms in different locations so I can really have an understanding of what the consumers are doing and what we can do, you and I can do as professionals to kind of address that. And what do you think, you know, what do you think a lot of people get wrong with their exercise program? If somebody joins, you know, a Big Box Gym, you know, and they say, oh, this time I'm going to get fit and they start doing that. You know, what, what do you think are one or two common mistakes that lead them down the path to maybe where they get injured? Well, I think mainstream media has shown us the wrong path to getting fit, to staying healthy, you know, to keep our body mass index lower. We are under the impression that the more is better mentality is necessary in order to get results. And it couldn't be further from the truth because we have the rise of high-intensity interval training, hit-style kick-ass workouts that are sweaty, that make you tired, that have you puking in the bucket, but don't necessarily get anyone short-term results, let alone long-term results that are sustainable and able to stay consistent with the physical practice. But we've been told, you know, you have to do the shiny object syndrome type stuff on your diet and exercise in order to get results. It is the quick fix mentality, the 28-day cleanses, the 30 days to abs, the six-minute abs that we are trying to showcase in mainstream media because it's sexy and it draws attention. 
But those things are most likely the reason that you're going in with false impressions of what is necessary to do inside and outside of the gym to actually start to revolutionize your health and wellness. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that because here we are in early January, you know, we're recording this in early January 2020. And this is the time of year when, when, when all the news shows like what's new in fitness, what's new in exercise, you know, what's the new trend. And, and you know, why do you scoff? Because we, we both know the answer to this. You know, what, what is the best thing that somebody could be doing? They don't need to do the new shiny object. What should somebody be doing if they want to use exercise to change their life? Well, the thing it comes down to is you have to be consistent with whatever physical practice you have, and you have to actually take the shackles off your ankles so you can work hard without the repercussions of pain, injuries, or burnout. So consistency with hard work, that is where you get long-term results. But people tend to pigeonhole themselves on one side or the other. We call it the meathead deload. Hey, I go in, I train really, really hard for a couple weeks or even a couple days with some cases. I end up getting hurt. I'm on the shelf for two weeks. And it's the vicious cycle started over and over again. Or you have the people that go in and they self-justify using the wrong modalities or going all in on one single thing. Oh, I heard that I needed to burn fat. I'm going to do two hours of cardio a day in a matter of a couple of weeks. You're burned out, broken down, and back on the couch. So one thing is not better than the other. It's what you think you like to do, what you can do well, maximizing trainability, minimizing risk of injury and burnout. And that's the sweet spot where people actually tend to learn a thing or two about habit formation, about what works for them, consistency, frequency intensities all matched together to actually create a new lifestyle for themselves. And the question I want to ask you, you know, kind of going into the next, next few things is how would you describe or how would you define movement literacy? Like you know, when you hear that term, you know, movement literacy, what, what would you explain? How would you explain that to a, to a client that you might be working with? Well, it's the way that a human being was designed to move. You know, when a baby is born and all the way up into about 12 to 14 months of development, we somehow go through these keystone developmental positions of mastery in order to get on two feet and start locomoting through space, aka walking. We have to do things like bilateral squatting, hip hinging, be a non-single leg stance. We need to be pushing and pulling at the upper body, both in horizontal and vertical force planes. And we have to be moving our body through space, not only forward and backwards, but also lateral as well. So components of rotation in there. I look at those as the six foundational movement patterns. And then when you put into rotation, not only creating rotation, but managing rotation from an anti-rotary standpoint, that is what a human being should be able to do. But looking back on the people that struggle the most with pain, with injuries, with obesity, these are the people that have a learned disuse of one or multiple of these movement patterns. And many times it's as simple as reverse engineering, building these patterns back up and making them more sustainable so we can actually get stronger over time and really protect ourselves against chronic wear and tear, injuries, burnout, and beyond. One of the things I like about a lot of the exercises, you know, from following you on Instagram, is that you seem to do a lot of asymmetrical or, or, or like one load or single load. <laughs> yeah. What, why, you know, what's the importance of that? I mean, what, you know, how would you explain the benefit of doing just, a, a, just using only one weight on one side of the body? 
So we do a lot of like single leg stuff, AKA like the single leg or lunge pattern. Uh, we do asymmetrical loads and stuff like that. But you know, the, the misconception out there is like the body functions only on a Nautilus machine, you know, locked into a range of motion through one distinct plane of motion. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, the body thrives with oblique slings, the body thrives with rotation and the body thrives with the ability to actually use arm opposite of leg. You know, we talk a lot about something called the pillar complex. It's the way that we utilize our shoulders, our hips, and our core together as an integrated unit, being able to brace, be able to scale tension, develop force, and actually maintain force through control of internal tension. So the reason that we do a lot of that stuff is that's actually my definition of more functional style of training. I know that's a polarizing term today, but if we can get more involved head to toe in terms of maintaining position, mastering position, then ultimately getting stronger in these positions, that is what is going to bulletproof us for life. Well, and that's what I like about your content, right? Is, is that so much stuff out there is really focused and there's still and, and just wait, side note, is I do a lot of consultant for Nautilus, so there's nothing, <laughs> no, but in all honesty, it's like there, there's a training tool for everything and not one training tool can solve all problems. But when you look at, when you look at this, one of the things I really like about your approach is you are movement pattern based. You know, why is it more important to focus on movement patterns as opposed to say, I want to do chest on Monday and back on Tuesday and quadriceps on Wednesday and hamstrings on Friday, whatever, you know, the way that we, we the mindset from reading the bodybuilding magazine magazines. Why would, why would it be a better or, or a safer idea for long-term injury-free exercise to focus on the movement patterns? So it's not like I'm saying not to bench press, not to box squat, not to do all these sexy things that people want to do. But what it really comes down to is that the body doesn't function in isolation. Muscles don't function in isolation. We are always an integrated beast. So every single muscle fiber in your body, it's all controlled by the brain and the spinal cord. That is neurologically how the movement system ticks. So why would we try to train against what is more inherently fundamental to us as a species? You know, it makes no sense to me, but I'll be the first one to have this non-dogmatic approach to health and fitness that I'm truly proud of. You know, there are times and places for basically everything. But the key is that you have to know when to use what tool, what set and rep scheme, what intensity, what frequency of training, what exercises. They all have to interplay together with the global goal of making you better, making you bigger, stronger, and more resilient year after year, decade after decade. Because that is the biggest missing link for many people. They're not able to string together enough consistent training to actually get notable results that push them forward. Because with all the research that we know in our industry today, one thing holds true. The stronger the person, the better they move, the more resilient they will be. So if your training isn't making you stronger, not making you move better, and keeping you healthier, then what the hell are you doing? Yeah, you know, and if for listeners, you know, we're not on video right now. We're we're talking over an audio link. But if you were on video, John, I think you'd see my head going up and down, nodding along in <laughs> agreement. Because yeah, this is the stuff that that you know, skilled practitioners like ourselves. This becomes like we know this stuff, but it's like how do we download this or introduce this to consumers out there? And let me ask you this: So I'm I'm 47 years old, and say I'm an office worker, and and, and I'm one of these guys that's you know I know exercise is important. I've been doing my workouts. And, you know, I maybe got a back injury, maybe got a little shoulder thing. 
how, and I come into, if I start working with you, how would you, how would you approach fitness with me? What would you, what would kind of be your first approach? You know, if I'm in decent shape, you know, what, how would you kind of approach it and what, where would you start or what would your initial like kind of introduction be if you're going to start working with me as a client? Well, you just described the vast majority of people. Uh, pain-free movers, I, I say, are like unicorns. Everyone likes to talk about them, write articles about them, do research <laughs> on them, but they don't actually exist in real life. My daughter loves unicorns, but when we go to the zoo, she's not disappointed that there's not a unicorn there. She knows it's a mythical beast. But everyone's going to have chronic aches and pains, wear and tear, movement, quote-unquote, dysfunctions. I don't use that term. We use that term with, uh, with our coaches that we educate. But we need to empower people more than anything. And most likely, the ill effects of a sedentary lifestyle are going to be the cause of some of these subclinical pain responses that we have in the human body. Many times, if you don't use it, you lose it. And you lose your ability to actually feel good and function well on a daily basis. So if those people listening are like, eh, my shoulders ache because I'm at the desk all day, or my lower back is killing me after my 90-minute commute from Carlsbad up to LA, you know, you're the average person, but it does not mean that you have to be a self-fulfilling prophecy to chronic pain and injuries for life. Something just has to change. Most likely, that is a reactivation of you into a physical fitness program, something that builds you up doesn't break you down and has you taking a step-by-step approach to getting better at any age. Because that's another thing. Age is not a disability. Chronic pain and injuries are not a disability. We just have to go one step further, do a little bit smarter with our programming, with our exercise execution and programming to the point where we are making sure that we cover all our bases to get better and never take those steps back. And you know, that's, I think that's so important. It, you know, I, the other thing I, I want to ask you about, because I love, you've already referenced it a little bit, and you're kind of talking about loading schemes and sets and reps. What would you, you know, how would you describe the difference between training for strength and training for hypertrophy? You know, what is the difference? <laughs> yeah. but, but a lot of people don't understand that, right? I think a lot of people under the gym, they don't realize there's a difference between training to add size and definition and training to be strong. Man, the more I'm in the industry, the less I am believing in like this purest hypertrophy type programming. Even if your goal is to eventually improve body composition and build muscle. Reason I say that is that I tend to see people get chronically banged up more trying to chase muscle mass than I do actually getting strong. And uh, I mean, probably six or seven years ago, I wrote this article over on Testosterone Nation. And it was the four most debilitating types of training, not my title, but my content. And, you know, the first one, you know, we see a lot of chronic pain and injuries in three major forms of fitness. Today, it's all about bodybuilding, powerlifting, and CrossFit. And, you know, the stats on one, uh, the stats on one form of fitness will be different than the other based on the research topic that you look at or the article that you look at. But the more anecdotal study that I do, the most, more case studies that I do, the more of my demographic of client and athlete that I work with, I see that the chase to put aesthetic benefit into the body solely goes against the human form, goes against what we need in terms of our movement patterning and ultimate strength. So I, especially with my programs now, I don't care if your goal is to get muscular, to get lean, to get strong as hell. We do always have a strength emphasis. We have a strength 
focus and our key performance indicators for what makes a successful program successful for the long term is getting stronger over time. But with that approach, you know, it has changed with my programming schemes, you know, over the last six, seven, eight years. And we're actually getting better hypertrophy benefits from putting more emphasis on strength than hypertrophy. But that goes against everything that we've been told in our NSCA, CSCS textbooks, in all of our certification programs that we've ever done. We've been told that if you want to build muscle, you must lift between this mythical hypertrophy rep range of 8 to 15 repetitions. I call bullshit on that because I have the data to prove it now. It is how we build muscle and strength in any rep range from heavy singles all the way up to metabolic stress 50 plus reps. But it's treating the body for what it needs functionally as opposed to trying to act like every muscular tissue in the body, no matter the region, does the same thing and responds to the same types of stimulations of stress. It just doesn't work that way. Well, and that's a great breakdown of it, you know, and the other thing that I want to ask, you know, so we have strength training and then we have power training, you know, how, how important is it to do some power training? And then we'll talk about like, how do we periodize this or how do we schedule this? You know, what, number one, how would you describe power training and why is that important to do to add into a program? Man, power training has been my focus the last number of years. I actually wrote a 500-page book on functional power training. Yep, I'm looking at it right now. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the big focus there is that, hey, we need to be training all the different rep ranges, one, but we also need to be challenging different movement speeds, velocities, and loadings. So we, in functional power training, We look at this as being a focus because break down all the science that we have about the aging process, and we know that the first physical literacy, the first physical characteristic that we lose due to aging is not muscle mass, it's not balance, it's not strength, it is indeed power. So if you don't want to be on a physical decline worse and worse year after year, power training should be something that you are focused on. So let's actually define what power training is. So I think a lot of people think that power lifting is power training. But (laughs) power is essentially an output from the body. So you can move things extremely fast or you can move heavy weights extremely slow. Both will have maximal power output. So that's really the backbone of functional power training is that we are going to do things like max effort lifting. Oh my God. Do as much weight as you possibly can with perfect form, being able to maintain perfect form through all sets and all movements and all ranges of motion of that movement, but actually get that type of stimulation on the system. Then in turn, we're going to move light weights extremely fast, and then we're going to train everything else in between because that is what a multimodalic-based approach is all about. It's maintaining literacy in all these physical disciplines simultaneously and moving them forward together as opposed to specializing in just one physical discipline. Well, and that's, and that's you know, a great thing. And I think where, where one common mistake that people make for listeners is they hear that power training, okay, I do power training. And so what they do, they go out and do four or five days a week of power training. You know, how important it is, is it to create balance between power, strength, and even body weight movement? And, and what kind of balance would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, it's pivotal that we create balance there. But I think all of these different schemes, all of these different rep ranges and different types of exercises can be trained in the same training day. You know, one of our schemes is we move fast and then we lift really heavy 
And then we get a strength emphasis on a movement pattern. And then you know what? We end the day going for a pump, getting blood flow, regenerating blood flow around, especially the areas that we want to bring up in terms of weak links or the places that we want to redistribute blood flow from a recoverability standpoint. Mm. So just because your goal is getting strong doesn't mean that you have to do five by fives for five different exercises and then want to jump out a window after every single training session. Just because you want to get lean doesn't mean that you have to do hit all the time. It's more about how these different environments interplay with each other based on your individual need. And that's going to be different person to person. So you can read all the articles in the world, you know, you can do all the testing in the world, but if you're trying to train for somebody else's body, somebody else's specific needs instead of your own, you're never going to be able to train optimal and your results will never be optimal because of it. And that's one of the bigger mistakes I see made. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, you mentioned blood flow and what, what do you mean by that, John? I mean, you're, I kind of think I have an idea, but if you're talking about programming and you're, and you're kind of coming at it from... The, the thought process of increasing blood flow, what, what's, the, you know, what's the benefit of that? Yeah, I mean, everything, blood flow is the highway to nutrient exchange in our body. It's also the highway to recoverability. So the more blood flow, especially into active areas that we can get, especially at tail ends of training days, the quicker that we're going to be able to recover, the fresher we're going to be when we actually come into the gym the next day. But when I'm talking about blood flow, I'm talking about the pump. I'm talking about old school Arnold, bodybuilding of encyclopedia, feeling the blood flow go into <laughs> the muscle. That's what I'm talking about here. But this has been like chastised by all the functional training gurus out there. Oh, we can't do a set of 30 repetitions of face pulls because, oh, that's useless because it's not in hypertrophy scheme. It's not in strength scheme. It's not power. It's not anything. But we have emerging st research and statistics to show that taken to failure – Reps at 30 can be actually the same as reps at 10 in terms of building muscle and more specifically building strength capacity. So there are different advantages to chasing a pump, different advantages of getting those rep schemes up. But I think the key here is that we're not trying to do 50 reps with one pound dumbbells. We're trying to get to the point of exhaustion, hitting anywhere from 25 to 50 repetitions. At that point, we're training quote unquote to failure but we're doing it in a little bit of a safer way because obviously the external load, the amount of weight that you're using is going to be less, less joint stress associated with that. But really blood flow, it's where we have nutrient exchange happen. So say after squat day, if we can somehow get a pump into our hamstrings, into our lower back, into our glutes, then that most susceptible chronic pain point for people like their lower back we're able to feel better because we almost start the recovery process with pump-based work before we ever leave that gym or end that single training session alone. So there's all these different ways to kind of go against what you've been told. But it matters when you do what you do, and it matters the quality of what you do. Yeah, no, I like that. I'm just sitting there thinking because, you know, keep thinking about the blood flow or, you know, keep thinking about that. Yeah, that's just a different thought process. You know, it's not that it, you know. It's just I like the I like that approach a lot. You know, that that's just something you know, kind of tweaked. And and now I understand. Yeah, you, know, you know, we have a mutual friend in common who just spent a few days with you, and now I understand why he said his mind was blown because that's just like you're looking at it from a smell, but I mean, it's slightly different perspective. So when you you know, with the work that you're doing, you created something that's you know, how long have you had the pain free uh, performance specialist program or the pain free performance specialist certification? When did you put that together, and and who do you, who is the audience for that? 
Yeah, so that has been my brainchild over the last four and a half years. So I've spent four plus years traveling the country and the world. I've been on five continents over a 102-day events. And honestly, just in 2019, we got it accredited as a certification. So cool. it yeah, is okay. a two-day certification course for fitness professionals. We also do get a couple rehab pros in there. And the goal there is to look how to train smarter, how to keep our clients injury-free, and being a preventative-based model of health, fitness, and training that actually keeps our people consistent, working hard, and getting the gains that everybody wants. What we've been talking about this entire time, Pete, but in 2020 here, we're going to have 100 certification courses across the globe, and we're going to be certifying over 5,000 coaches this year. And I'm extremely proud to have a team of 15 master instructors that are going to be taking this journey with me. Yeah, you know, and just for listeners, you know, a few of those master instructors have already been guests on All About Fitness, which one of the things that, you know, it's Robert Linkle and Cliff Harsky and, and, and Kevin Mullins. And that's one of the reasons why you know, kind of clued me on to you. I was already following you on, on Instagram. And when I found out those guys were involved with you, I mean, it was like a no-brainer. Now, let me ask you this. Can a non-fitness professional, what would, if, if I am that 40-something guy that's like, I, I'm a kind of a gym, gym geek or gym rat, and I'm like, man, I, I'm, you know, I need to learn something because my bench press is killing my shoulders. I need to learn something else. If I'm, a, if I'm a general consumer, would I get something out of that course? Would I be able to follow along? All right. Don't tell anyone, Pete. This is between you and me. But we tend to get anywhere from two to three attendees per course that are end users. They're just athletes. They're learning more about their body so they can train more effectively for life. And I would say hands down that those people are the ones that have their minds fucking blown at the end of 16-hour two-day course, that they're able to take the things that they learned, apply them to their own body, and get the most out of their own training. Of course, this is designed for fitness professionals, but you know, if your goal is to move, and perform pain-free and actually get better year after year, hell yeah, you'll get something out of it. Yeah, I'm sitting there thinking, I gotta, I'll gotta. i talk to you when we get done uh, with the conversation because I do want to – I say I'm looking at your schedule here. No, because it's always good to kind of get a, a slightly different perspective, you know, and, and I've been doing – you know, a lot of this stuff – I like the way you've put this together. I mean, a lot of this stuff is out there, but you kind of have to dig and you kind of have to do your research and you kind of have to know how to piece it together to make it work. And what – you know, the way you've, you've, you've laid this out and just looking at your information – I mean, you've kind of, I think you've kind of hit a, a nice little formula here. And what is, what's your, what's your Instagram handle? Like how can people follow you on Instagram and, and what type of content do you put up there? Yeah. So Instagram is at Dr. John Russin, D-R-G-O-H-N-R-U-S-I-N. And Instagram is a constant flow of articles, articles, and more articles. I'm not talking about blog posts here. I'm talking about five, 10, 15,000 ultimate word resources for every single thing that we do. So we showcase my and my team's training, you know, multiple times a day we'll be putting videos up, but the power is not the video on Instagram. The power is the link that we have accompanying the post. So people will be able to really resonate with something, something that looks cool, but then actually go and do their education, learn a little bit more about what the method is and how they can actually scale it to their individual needs. That's where the power is. I've always said education doesn't happen on Instagram. Education happening by reading, learning with your own body. And that's just, you know, that's a great and I, I love the way you just said that because right, I think a lot of people I know a lot of people will go to Instagram or YouTube and they'll just directly go right away into like, all right, I'm going to look at a couple videos and, and bang, off I go. 
how important is it to really understand the why behind an exercise that somebody's going to do? It's pivotal, man. Uh, that could be another five hours on yeah, this right. podcast here, but chasing shiny objects, that is not the way to go on social media. You want to use it to actually become familiar with something that you think resonates with you and then do your due diligence. Go and read some articles, deeper dive in and figure out how this could fit into your training plan or your lifestyle plan. Just going out and doing random stuff all the time because you look, thought it looked cool on Instagram is a surefire way to fizzle out and also get really piss poor results. So you go back and get into that injury cycle. And that's exactly it. And that's that's my fear too about, you know, so many people look at somebody on Instagram like, oh my God, they have a great body. I'm going to follow this person and do what they're doing <laughs> without really understanding what it is. Let me ask you this because I see a lot of interesting stuff. Do you have a favorite, like what what's kind of like your favorite go-to exercise? Say you, you woke up and you know, maybe you slept wrong or maybe you spent, you know, you know, you're coming back from Asia and spent 10, 12, 16 hours in a plane. Do you have like kind of a favorite go-to that kind of help reset your system? Uh, I'm a functional meathead, meathead nonetheless, but <laughs> I tend to gravitate towards trap bar deadlifts done super heavy with accommodating base resistances, heavy five to 10 reps, Bulgarian split squats with double dumbbells. Also love those. And then really what we've been known for over the last 10 years or so is all the banded upper back work. So that's the stuff that I would put in after my flight back from Taipei, 18 hours in the plane. Boom, make sure to get a couple hundred reps up there into external rotation and getting the posture back going. But, you know, we, we use a lot of variety, but it's also very dialed into the point where we always know that we're getting something out of what we do. But, you know, with those three things, I think you go a long, long way. Well, I think that's funny because I tell people that I'm not scared of heavy weight. I'm scared of being in a plane for 14 hours. You know, my back, <laughs> you know, my, my hips, might, my, my, my glutes might be a little bit sore. My hams might be a little bit sore from a heavy deadlifting day. But man, after, even if you get the upgrade to the business class, I mean, you're banged up. So let me ask you, you have content on YouTube. For people that want to get more information about what you're doing, where's the best place to find you? And what resource? DrJohnRussin.com. Uh, well, by said far, it. the most resources out there. We have over 500 in-depth resources on every type of article and training method that I talk about everywhere else. Um, I can't highly recommend that enough because we're also putting out unique content every single week over there. And then which one, you know, for, for consumers that might be interested in just kind of learning a little bit more, they, they're not ready to take a deep dive. Which one of your books would be most like would be most consumer friendly that might give them a little heads up on, on ways they should be training? You can't go wrong. We have the pain-free performance trifecta right now. We have a foundations program that's three days a week, full body training. We have a functional hypertrophy training program that is built to build muscle without the pains. And then we also have functional power training that we talked a little bit about. Um, not to tap myself on my own shoulder and give myself a back rub on the podcast, but I definitively think that functional power training is the number one resource for functional training and performance training out there. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. I have access to everything else in the industry. Every single day we get sent something. I'm damn proud to have that thing as probably the best resource I've ever seen, the most in-depth resource that I've ever seen. So people would probably open that up and be busy for six months uh, reading, watching, and learning from that resource. And for listeners, you know, I don't mean to sound for this to sound like an infomercial at all, but I just, I'm so impressed by your content, John, that, that I really want people to, to realize they have resources here and that, you know, yeah, there's a lot of inf information out there, 
but I really wanted to have you on because your stuff is good. You got good kung fu, man. And you know it really is. I mean, you, I look at it, and, and every now and then you come, you see somebody pop up, and you're kind of like, uh, you know, what's this person doing? But as I've been following you, and as I've been learning about you, I'm like, okay, he's you're cracking the code, and you're you're putting the content together, dude. So I definitely need to get my tailbone to a workshop and, and meet you in real person. <laughs> I except I'm a little intimidated to do a workout. I got a, I was doing sprints yesterday with uh, the rugby team, and I can feel it in my quads today. And uh, I have to tell you though, I'd rather be a little bit sore from doing sprints than go out for a 45 minute jog. No doubt, man. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, this has been really fun. Thanks again for having me on and doing what you do. All right, man. Thanks for your time. Okay. Now, admittedly, that might have gotten a little geeky. And if you you know don't do this for a living, if you're not a full-time exercise fitness person, you may have had to hit pause and, and, and you hit back up and rewind a couple times to kind of understand maybe what we're talking about. Uh, well, but I'm going to do a little wrap-up. But before I do... If you want to learn a little bit more about fitness and you want to learn a bit more about exercise, and specifically how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life, pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. I designed it for, you know, it's, it's designed for you. It's designed to help you learn what to do in the gym. In Smarter Workouts, you learn how to use one piece of fitness equipment to design workouts for strength, mobility training, or metabolic conditioning. That way, if you go to the gym or if you have some equipment at home and you don't want to wait in line, all you need is one pair of dumbbells, you need one medicine ball, or you need to use a cable machine, and you can get a great workout. So the smarter workouts, the science of exercise made simple. There's a link down below in the show notes. And folks, I know there are plenty of places to buy books online, but this is a way I'm trying to support the podcast. I'm trying to keep the podcast ad-free. So the link below is to my publisher. If you buy it from my publisher, it just helps helps support the podcast a little more. So I appreciate that. You know, pick pick up a copy of that. And if you do, I mean, if you want to learn more, I really, you know, what I like about talking with John is he's doing the right thing. You know, and that's why I was kind of geeking out a little bit and why, you know, I didn't want it to be I, – I, I wasn't trying to do an infomercial, but his content is so good and he's doing the right thing based on the research and based on the science that I wanted you to hear that there's solutions out there. If you're a fitness enthusiast, if you're in your 40s and 50s and and you love working out and you listen to all about fitness because you like getting different ideas, I would recommend spending a weekend with John or one of his master instructors and learn going through his program. You know, you can follow along and yeah, you might not understand everything, but you know what? You're going to learn a heck of a lot, and I guarantee you, you might be a little sore from the weekend, but it's going to be the right kind of soreness. It's going to be the kind of soreness that does increase blood flow to the tissue. And on that note, you know, I, I love, that's why I kind of pause a little bit. You know, John talked about blood flow, and, you know, I had to think about that, you know, and I knew where he was going with it, because I knew, I know the research out there, there's been a, been a lot of research on high rep ranges. You know, you don't need just to do heavy. The most important thing, if you want to initiate muscle growth, if you want to initiate changes to your body, you know, the most important thing is going to fatigue. There are two ways to make a muscle stronger. You can make a muscle stronger via load or using weight. That's what we call mechanical overload. Mechanical overload damages the, the actual structure, the protein structures of the fiber, of the muscle fiber, the protein filaments. And so the body will initiate the repair process to, to repair the muscle proteins. The other way to initiate an overload, and this is what John was referring to with the high rep ranges, is metabolic overload. Metabolic overload is where you fatigue the muscle cells of any remaining glycogen. You fill the muscle with, with blood. Well, the blood is going to bring nutrients in, remove waste product out, 
and you're really depleting the muscle of glycogen. Glycogen is carbohydrate, and, and so when your body takes in carbohydrate, your body will store more carbohydrate in the muscle cells, and carbohydrate carries with it water. So, you know, if you want to, you know, one way to remain pain-free while you're working out is vary your weights up. Some days go heavier. Use a heavier weight for four, six, eight reps. But other days, use a lighter weight. Go 30 reps, 40 reps. And trust me, it ain't easy. And, and yeah, you're going to be shaking a little bit. And yeah, you might be cursing John or I the next day. But that's just a different way to train. And that was kind of the, that was kind of the theme of the discussion, right? Is the theme was there's not one right way to exercise. There are a number of right ways to exercise. What matters is how you put it together. You know, so if you, whether you work out on your own, if you're, you're self-motivated, or you work out with a personal trainer, what I wanted to bring to you was a little bit of insight about there, there are solutions out there for how you exercise pain-free. I mean, that's why I wrote my book. That's why John's doing what he's doing, is he's going after a specific segment of the market. He's saying, hey, intensity is good. Strength training is good. Power training is good. Let's learn how to use it safely. Let's learn how to use it in an appropriate scalability. Let's do it in a way that's going to help you grow, help you get stronger, and help you remain injury-free throughout the aging process. So it's really cool to meet somebody like John. It's really cool to meet somebody that has that same thought process. And I mean it. You know, As soon as I found out my buddies were involved in his program, that was, that's all I needed to know. And this business, personal referrals are everything. So when I found out those three guys were working with John, it was a no-brainer. It was bing, bing, let's get him in here, and let's get him on the podcast. So if you have any questions, if you want to follow up on John's information, all of his contact stuff is down below in the show notes. If you want to support the podcast, please pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple, or not. Just keep listening to the podcast. I'm cool with that. And if you want to look for good content, I have a YouTube channel up, All About Fitness Podcasts is on YouTube. Uh, I'm putting up workouts up there every week, so if you want to get some workout ideas, it's All About Fitness Podcasts on YouTube. And uh, what else? Oh, on Instagram, Pete McCall underscore fitness. Pete McCall underscore fitness. I put up exercises, workouts, and all that stuff up there on Instagram. All I'm trying to do, folks, is teach you or give you information to help you learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. So as always, thanks for stopping by, and I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.